I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Troy Nunes is an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casella. With me today is special guest Kevin Wall. How's it going? Good, John. How are you doing today? Hanging in. Dan is uh, Dan is watching the the Brooklyn Nets potentially bludgeon the Bucks again. Um, I'm not sure uh, what's going to happen there. I, I wish ill upon them as a Knicks fan. <laughs> I think that's fair for you to wish ill upon that. <laughs> uh, I, I hope him and Andy have a good time, but 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 I'm definitely not rooting for the Nets here. Andy needs a little bit of sports happiness, so. Feel like I, as a I, I didn't wish Pittsburgh fandom on him. That's, <laughs> that's true, or Arsenal. Why would he pick Arsenal? I don't know. I mean, you, you, you could say the same about most adopted uh, Premier League teams for Americans. Like other other than the the, the Chelsea Man U um, contingent, there, there, there's a lot of um, either like revisionist history. So like people are just like, oh, I've always been a Man City fan. Like oh, yeah. okay, and, and and then there's the um, you know, just like forced misery uh, of most years of like Liverpool, Arsenal, um, Spurs. There's a lot of Spurs fans in America. Uh, yeah. Everton from all the U.S. players that have been over there. Uh, my own West Ham fandom sitting on an island by myself. <laughs> yeah, see, I picked Arsenal because of FIFA when they had Bergkamp and Thierry Henry. So I blame it on that. They were actually decent and they were fun to play with on that game. And then little did I know that later when I started to follow the EPL a little bit more, it would lead to just absolute misery. So that's why I enjoy West Ham because the the standard is, can you avoid relegation? So that anything, anything above like 17th in the table is like, all right, we, we, we did something. Let's try to, let's try to build on this. So the, all this uh, Syracuse pinstripe bowl quest is perfect for you then. Yeah, I'm all, I'm all <laughs> in on that. <laughs> Mediocrity with, with minimal <laughs> expectations is, is kind of the name of the game for me. Uh, sometimes that's not the bad way to go. Yeah, so uh, I guess one thing we want to talk about here um, to start us off is, and I know like the, the live cast got into this a little bit already. Um, we talked about it playing on the site, but um, big changes for both the Syracuse men's and women's lacrosse teams. Uh, John Desco retiring, stepping down. Um, from his ro- longtime role um, after a, a pretty successful run um, as, you know, a player, an assistant, a head coach, um, and Hall of Famer. And now Gary Gate, himself a Hall of Famer, uh, steps in uh, to take over the men's team. The women's team is in search of a new coach um, on a full-time right. basis. The one conversation that was brought up in the comments, and I honestly think that, there, that there's validity to it, is, like, this is a bit of a sexist move or at least there's a perception that it could be um I, I i do think that it's fair to wonder why we're kind of we kind of used the women's team i mean yes he was in there for a very long time but right. use the women's team as a little bit of a, a feeder system into the men's program um and now the women's team I mean if su nails is higher and i know you said this if su nails is higher fine like then then, then you know what now we give potentially one of the um, various successful players, 
um, or, or coaches that have been under uh, Gary Gate, um, an opportunity, um, and, and she would potentially be able to, you know, lead this team to further prominence while he takes over and hopefully writes the ship over on the men's side. Uh, but just curious, like, if you had more um, on that, because I know it, it, it's become a pretty, like, lightning rod topic, at least in, like, the news magician corner of Syracuse's yeah. internet. Sure, and I think people... You know, some of the commenters, I think, were operating a little bit out of context because while it was never substantiated, um, when Gary Gate was hired to take over the women's program, there were pretty wide speculation and strong rumors that he was brought in and paid a hefty sum to be a women's head coach with the understanding that he would replace Desco. Um, At that point, SU had started to struggle. Um, They weren't as successful. And then Desco went and won back-to-back titles and kind of foiled that plan because there was no way you were going to push out a guy who had just won back-to-back championships. And so, you know, Gary, I think, you know, said he's turned down men's jobs over the years. And I think he's been happy um, being a head coach at Syracuse. But I think I can understand the people that think, like, feel like this was the stepping stone and the women's program was kind of the placeholder because I think that's how it was originally intended. And I think others who don't, use that context, look at it and say, well, he was coached for 14 years. So how could that, you know, you think he just sat around waiting for the the men's job to open up. And part of me says, well, yeah, I think he did, you know, he, he had no reason to, you know, I I think, you know, while it's great to say he turned down other men's jobs, I I would, wouldn't be surprised if those men's jobs were pay cuts, you know, um, for him and, and whatever, you know, right or wrong salary is salary. You know, you're not begrudge anybody who, who can get, get value. Um, personally, but I think, you know, people miss some of that context of, you know, he was paid a lot of money to be a women's coach with, I think, the understanding that he would take over in a shorter or nearer future to when he was hired. And, but like I said, you know, I think this is an opportunity for Syracuse. One, I think, you know, I've said all along for the fire Desco people is you can't make a, a move in a vacuum with men's lacrosse. You know, when you've only had four head coaches in over 100 years, you have this bond that is very hard for outsiders to understand and we look at Jim Beheim's player loyalty and people talk about what a great thing that is. And, and that's what, not quite 40 years, um, you know, and when you think about the connection back that John Desco played for Roy Simmons Jr. and coached alongside him, took over for him, uh, you couldn't just fire him and bring in an outsider. You really had to have the lacrosse, Syracuse lacrosse family kind of on board and, you know, I, I hope for John this was his decision and he wasn't forced. I have a lot of respect for him. Um, you know, we talk on the site a lot about the person who's going to have to replace Jim Beheim. I mean, you know, John Desco took over for Roy Simmons Jr. And I don't know that you would have a harder time in stepping in. And I know people will say, well, he had loaded teams and, and this and that. But, you know, people that have been around Roy Simmons Jr. and talk about what a motivator he is, what a, what a player's coach you know, just what a fascinating individual he was, you know, that's a, those are big shoes to step into. I mean, he, he was very, um, you know, motivational, very gregarious and um, just has a, a commanding presence still to this day when he's around the campus. And so that wasn't an easy role for Desco to slide into it. And, and he handled it pretty well and uh, was an incredibly successful career. And, you know, hopefully this is a, he felt this was the time, right. To, you know, to step down and, and get away from it. But I think, you know, Gary Gate, when you talk about replacements, um, obviously keeps it in the family. 
you know, brings that name brand, um, has done a very good job with the SU women's program. I mean, the only thing that they haven't done was been able to get over the, the hump in the title game, but you know, they're, uh, the style of play, you know, talk about a player's coach again. And I think that people will be looking for him to bring that exciting brand of lacrosse to the men's team. Yeah. I mean, obviously just the, 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 there's been a bit of, of stagnancy when it comes to the men's team. There, there's been a lot of successful regular seasons. There's been teams. I mean, Dan and I have talked about this before. Like we'll never really know what would ha- would have happened last year because realistically, right. like in some alternate reality where that season gets played in full, I do think that team, you know, is probably one of the top couple seeds. Uh, we've mm-hmm. seen that go south before, but I think that they would have made it to Memorial Day weekend. And if they did, like, are we having a different conversation um, today? There's obviously more to it. Um, the Chase Scanlon stuff, just the general. Right. Um, there's been a lot of player discipline issues um, yep. over the last few years. So like that all can't just be swept under the rug and shouldn't be. Um, but I, I am curious, like what happens now, like what would have happened with that 2020 season? And obviously we'll never know. I think gate coming in is again, if, if you remove the, the, remo- if you remove the fact that he was the Syracuse women's coach, I think that, that it's an interesting hire. Um, it's potentially a great hire for the program in terms of continuity and everything else. I, I think that for me, the bigger concern is just making sure that SU pays what they need to pay. Um, right. You know, on, on the women's side here. Um, yeah, I and I think that's that's right. They've 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 got to nail the the women's hire to make it you know a real successful transition for both teams. Yeah, and I mean, like, not getting like we'll see if this is actually the case. Um, I know you know Brent Dax noted a source that said Kayla Trainer turned it down. That to me is it's 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 odd, but she also might like. I mean, I mean, do you do you feel like this is a, a case of her just feeling like it's not time to come back yet, or do you think that this is that this it, is SU potentially lowballing? I mean, I could see it as a, a slight combination. Um, you know, I don't know the situation at Boston College. Um, you know, is, is it possible that there's a succession plan in place there? You know, where she knows in the next couple of years she'll take over that program and be able to put her own sort of stamp on it rather than following Gary. Um, I, I would doubt that Syracuse is offering a comparable salary to what was reported that Gary was making. And, and I know publicly we know of one year that they said, you know, was explained by personal marketing or something, but it was like $700,000, which is, you know, <laughs> really significant for any women's sport. Um, and, and even, you know, five years later or whatever time of frame that was, so there could be some situation. There's also the the possibility that, you know, she hasn't been a head coach anywhere yet. And I think that's a huge step. Um, and I was a little surprised that her name came up first, honestly, only because, you know, Katie Rowan is has been a head coach at two schools now. Uh, she's at Albany and was an assistant with Gary. And Michelle Tumalo followed Katie at Wagner and has been a head coach for a few years. And so that was interesting that they would, you know, the first alum that came up with someone who hasn't, doesn't have the head coaching experience. Um, and maybe it's because she's at an ACC school and the school that just won the national championship um, that she jumped to the top of the list. But I found that interesting. I also found the news today that, and I, I think it's Caitlin DeFelice, the assistant coach who handled the defense, was named the interim coach, um, which I found interesting because if you're in the middle of a search in the summer, do you really have to rush to have an interim coach in place? I suppose for recruiting purposes, you want someone, but the team's not practicing. You don't need anybody that's really running workouts 
um, at this point, especially if you plan on making a hire shortly. So um, I wonder if that interim will become removed, you know, that tag gets removed and maybe there's a move to try and bring an alum with her to coach the offense and maybe an associate head coach role. Yeah. I find that to be an interesting solution. Um, I like, I don't want to disparage like anybody either. Cause I do think that like, it's a, like, she's a very good coach for sure. Um, I guess I just wonder if like, have we put, have we already, you know, checked out every other option? Have we tried right. everything yet? Like, cause I do think that just bringing in, you know, the current defensive coordinator and saying like, all right, you're the head coach. Like, I don't know if that seems, that sounds like we've, you know, turned over a rock just yet. Yeah. Um, I would agree with that. Um, I think the timing of all this stuff is pretty curious though, that it leaked last night and then we got reports today and even Desco's statement was something that he was preparing something for later in the week. And if you knew you were going to retire, why would you wait later in the week? Unless, as Andy talked about last night in the live cast, unless you were planning to line up one one news conference, you know, John does his retirement, you introduce Gary, and then you have Gary's replacement right there. You do it, bing, bang, bang, and everything's taken care of and all the questions are answered kind of in one shot and you've addressed everything. And so, you know, it's possible that we're further along in the search than we think we are or that we know we are. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, a couple of the other names that people have thrown out on site, um, one was Reggie Thorpe, who not only played for the men's team, but was an assistant coach, uh, left to work with the pro team. And now he's an assistant coach at Pitt, which is starting a program next year. And then the other one that a few people on site keep throwing out is uh, Spillane, who is the co- head coach at Stony Brook, who was really successful and beat Syracuse this year. Um, but I think a lot of our comment- commenters are throwing his name out because his son's the number one recruit in the class of 22. And they feel like if he comes from Stony Brook to take the job, that it makes sure that the number one recruit in the next 22 um, doesn't change his commitment either. Yeah. And I mean, there's definitely something to be said for that. I don't think you make that decision just based on it. I, I think right. if you make that decision, it's based on the fact that he's done so much with fewer resources at Stony Brook. I, I, I think realistically, like that is a draw. Uh, for me personally, because he's, he's had a head job again. Like he has what, what, what always worries me um, in the Syracuse lacrosse apparatus in particular is being able to step into that, you know, firestorm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I do think that, you know, it, it's the same conversation we would have around, you know, Jim Beheim's replacement. If it's not someone who's like in the family tree is you need to be ready for like what's coming for you. Right. And, 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 and the pressures that come with that and the scrutiny that comes with that. Uh, and, and realistically, like, you know, there, there isn't, there isn't like some, some fervent Stony Brook beat uh, <laughs> really, really like following yeah. Spillane along uh, with, with everything he's doing. I'd also, I mean, and, and obviously I want the best person to get the job, but I do think that it would be ideal if we hired a woman for this role. I agree. Um, and I think that's, you know, when you have a department that has, two um, women head coaches you know overall we've talked on the site about the lack of diversity among coaching staffs at Syracuse for a long time now Um, you know it's slowly improving among the assistant coaches but you know have an opportunity to look at you know quality head coach and it shouldn't be the only criteria you want to get the best coach and and I'm of the opinion that for a school like Syracuse and the ACC if you're hiring a first-time head coach they need to be bringing someone who's been a head coach with them on staff And whether that's women's lacrosse or men's basketball, 
people just don't have a good understanding of all the stuff that goes into a head coach's responsibilities that have nothing to do with coaching their sport. You know, all the administrative work, all the, you know, oversight of compliance, all of the things that they have to do on a daily basis that falls to their, you know, whether they assign it to other people or not, it's ultimately their responsibility and and what they're judged on. And when you have someone who's never done that stuff before, it's eye-opening, you know, when they step into it for the first time. And so if you're going to take a chance on an assistant, and that doesn't mean an assistant can't do it, I think it helps to bring someone along who's been through that, you know, been through the ropes. And, and so, you know, the, the women's team has some notable alums who, are, who have coaching experience, um, who have been successful at schools with limited resources. So the candidate pool, um, you know, like you mentioned, we, we should have a very deep interest in, in deep can- and strong candidate pool for this job and shouldn't just pick the person who was standing next to Gary Gate on the sidelines um, without doing a real thorough search. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I guess that kind of leads us into, we can have some of the conversation um, just residual from last week around Coach K's retirement. Uh, Dan and I had a later podcast than normal last week, so we got to talk about this a bit. Um, but the one thing I did notice, and I think, you know, you did and others did as well, um, is just there is a major, major difference between what Syracuse fans think of. Like, I, like, I think with, with, with regard to, with regard to men's lacrosse, I think what SU fans think of the the, the program is pretty accurate um, to what it actually is. I think that there's maybe some dissonance around the last 10 years, but overall, I think it's a pretty accurate view on it. Um, I, I think that with football, sometimes there's there, there's a bit of dissonance that erases the last 20 years um, and, and, and acts like we we aren't too far away. But I think there are a lot of fans who are realistic. I think with the men's basketball program, I think that there's always this kind of tug of war around blue blood or not, around what we can be after Bayheim, whether Bayheim built the program. Um, and realistically, like, I think there's a huge, huge difference between, despite the win totals, despite the, the, the tournament success, despite the title, um, there, there's a huge difference between uh, how Syracuse fans view Jim Bayheim and how uh, the wider media apparatus and how college basketball fans in general and, and consumers in general view Jim Bayheim. Um, and I think that that was readily apparent. And, and again, not not disparaging anyone, but I think that that is readily apparent uh, when we have these sort of conversations around Jim Behan's legacy and around what's next. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, and, you know, I've made this point, and people get mad at me about this, but Jim Beheim stepped into a Syracuse program that, you know, didn't pay a lot. You know, the Roy Danforth left for Tulane. You know, people say, well, you advised Jim not to take the job. Jim was considering the University of Rochester. Well, I, I think some of that was, you know, had an independent team. And, you know, there wasn't a, a, a big investment salary wise, but it was a successful program. You know, he didn't step into a team that was coming off, you know, a decade of single digit wins. And so when I think of built a program, I, I look at someone like, you know, John Thompson, and, you know, maybe Jim Calhoun and even Coach K to what they walked into in scenarios. And maybe they weren't as successful right away as Bayheim. And, you know, but. To me, like when you build a program, like you're taking over something at the bottom. You know, when we talk about Doug Marone 
you know, when he took over Syracuse football, it was pitiful, you know? And so getting it to mediocrity was felt like a building job. When you step into a team that's, you know, one of the dominant basketball teams in the Northeast, like, yeah, and that's nothing against Jim Beheim's legacy, but I don't think the program collapses when he leaves. You know, I don't think the Duke program collapses when Coach K leaves. They struggle under John Shayer? Sure. You know, um, but the reality is, is with the investment that they've put in and the history there and the legacy, like it, the turnaround will happen, you know, like, like the pressure's on Shire now. And, you know, if he's not delivering in the first three years, he's, he's gone. And, you know, someone else will be more than likely and more than willing to step in. And I'll use the, you know, the UNC analogy, Dean Smith stepped aside. And we have some people that think, well, he stepped aside and the program fell off the cliff. Well, Bill Guthridge went to back-to-back Final Fours and then he retired. And Matt Darty did not do well, but then Roy Williams was eager to come back because he wasn't replacing Dean Smith. You know, there was that coach in between. And so people may not want to be the next, you know, follow Jim Beheim, but if whoever takes over isn't successful right away, then you'll have a lot more people looking at, hey, I want to come to Syracuse because of what they what they have in the facilities. And and you know, Beheim benefited from the Big East. I think he admits it. And it doesn't take away from his legacy, like you said. Um but we have a lot of people that just point to the the consecutive streak, you know, streak of winning seasons and, you know, whatever that is. But if you look at his peers and you look at titles, you know, people are complaining about Desco because it's been so long since he won a ring. And yet for basketball, we're like, hey, but we had a sweet 16 run. And I know that the sports aren't necessarily comparable, but we're willing to overlook OK seasons if we win two games in a tournament, it, you know, and aren't really competing for a title. When a guy had, like you mentioned, you know, last year, the number one team in the country when things shut down and we're just like, hey, well, he can't do it anymore. So it's it's a very interesting view. I know anybody listening to this, especially native central New Yorkers are probably bawling their fists at me and cursing me out. Um, but I just think, you know, that's that's kind of what we've built up. We we put Bayheim at this level. I think that that's what's going to make it hard for the that next person to want to t- come and take over for him and to be successful because it's always going to be like, you know, Beheim would have done it differently, you know? And then I think that's uh, that's going to be a, an interesting thing to watch um, as it plays out. But, you know, the, the whole notion of is he a top five coach of all time and people want to say emphatically, yes, like how could you question that? And I, I don't know that the numbers necessarily bear that out. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it'd be kind of hard to make that case, to be honest. And that's not a bad thing. Like being one of the top 10 coaches of all time does not make you a bad coach. Um, right. He, you know, he's got, you know, the wins are the, the way they are. But I mean, the, you know, the ultimate thing is, you know, this is my, I'm going to give my Stugats is like, how many rings you got, you know, but, and when you're talking about a top five or top 10, you're going to look at people that are, you know, more successful when it comes to winning at all. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and realistically, I know like the, the, the big comparison for a lot of folks was probably in the comments. And I think when it's all said and done, perhaps will end up being the case is, you know, like Tom Izzo. I mean, really, it's, it, I, I think Izzo, Calhoun, like those two guys are probably his contemporaries. And right. you, you, could, you could pretty easily argue just by, by way of, you know, titles and or Final Fours that like both were more successful. I think Beheim's had a clear advantage over Izzo in, in like in head to head. I think yeah. Izzo has, has definitely fallen short in recent years. Um, right. and it's definitely going to color 
you know, a different, but at the same time, falling short for him um, is really not that different from Syracuse, like, you know, playing above expectations. It's funny because it's the Syracuse up to 2003 was Jim Beheim doesn't deliver right in March. You know, the 96 Final Four team was his surprising run. But when you look at the teams in the late 80s, you know, um, that that didn't, you know, he had one Final Four. And people look at that, you know, you had Billy Owens, Derek Coleman, Sherman Douglas, Ronnie Cycli, Stevie Thompson, and you only made one Final Four. And then you had the first two seed to lose a game. And so there was a lot of similar arguments for Bayheim for a while. And, and I would agree. I think he's certainly flipped with Izzo lately, whereas Izzo has had more talented teams and underachieved Bayheim's taken teams that were lesser groups and gotten them further in March. Well, it's sure. interesting too, because Izzo, I mean, Izzo has the opposite problem with Bayheim, where Izzo won a title in the first five years. Yep. So Izzo never had to deal with the, you know, can't get it done um, problem. He won, he, won a, he won it all in his first Final Four trip. And then made two more right after that and didn't get it done. And then he just kept not getting it done. It done. Right. And now he's getting, not getting it done sooner and sooner. <laughs> yeah. Like, like that, that's the thing with him. And I mean, you know, this is a, at the same time, I, you know, I, I'll admit like Izzo's swoon isn't necessarily what we like, even like you said, I, I brought it up. I brought it up last week. I brought it up in the article. I still stand by it. But that that swoon is still, he still made two Final Fours in the last decade, something that Bayheim has only done once. Right. Um, realistically, he made a Final Four a couple of years ago. Like, at the same time, though, he keeps making Final Fours and keeps falling flat. And if you do that, depending on when you do that, that defines the narrative. And because he's doing that, you know, over 20 years after Mateen Cleaves, like, nobody cares. Or at least... Fewer people care than the opposite. Where okay, like if you if you if you went one and seven, one for seven, well, sorry, one for eight in final four trips, um, and you didn't win on the first one, there's a very different narrative about you than there right. is if you if you win on the eighth one. Yeah, and I think I think what's interesting too for me with Syracuse fans is Syracuse fans love to point to final fours, but you haven't won a final four game since '03. Right. And so like how successful have you been? And, and you know, it seems like the, the needle has moved to like this year. Hey, a sweet 16 run was a deep run. And it was like, OK, well, we, we played two teams that most people, especially on our site, said we were much better than and we're going to beat. Right. And, and when we beat them, it was like this amazing run. So, you know, it's yeah, kind I mean, of like having the, both ways. Well, yeah, like what was the narrative um, going into uh, what was it? We were going into the 08-09 postseason, it was SU hasn't been past the Sweet 16 since um, 03. Yep. And, 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 and that was like, oh, this like huge black eye. And then obviously we went on like this really nice five-year stretch um, of success. And then all was well again. But realistically, like other than the, the, the surprise 2016 run, like we're right back at it, except the same narrative don't exist anymore. Yeah. And, and now the sanctions excuse, the, that argument's gone. And I think, you know, people have to, they can't use that as a crutch. And so, you know, it segues into, you know, this, this talk about the 2022 class and, you know, the recruiting official visits are, are kicking back up again. And, you know, Syracuse was loading up for this class anyway. And, and people talking about, you know, behind making one final run and then the Dior Johnson decommit. Now there's a lot of questions. I mean, I think Syracuse is in with a lot of quality players, but they're in it up against a lot of competition for those players. And, and this is kind of a, a pivotal summer. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I want to get to that. I do want to talk quick um, about uh, beer, if you have a sec. 
and then we can kind of close out halftime into uh, into some some football and basketball. Uh, well, at least basketball recruiting, maybe football. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. So, so Kevin, what have you been drinking? So I actually, you know, hit up a little bit of uh, expanded my selection slightly um, recently. I had a Sierra Nevada Session IPA. I'm not a huge IPA fan. Um, but that wasn't Ooh. bad. I think it was a summer haze. Yeah, I know. I that's why I don't get invited <laughs> on this podcast that often. <laughs> um, and then I followed that up with a Hamburg Irish Red, which uh, wasn't bad. Hamburg, uh, Western New York. So Steve would be uh, appreciative of me supporting uh, upstate New York, uh, Western New York brewery. Um, what else did I have? I picked up a, a couple different sections. Oh, then I had to have my summer. Uh, Narragansett Dell's Shandy, um, which I'm sure is getting even more anger than my Bayheim comments from the listeners. But um, that's a, a Rhode Island favorite, the Dell's Frozen Lemonade. And so Narragansett, which is brewed in Rochester now anyway, does a summer a summer Shandy, um, which when it's 90 degrees in Syracuse in early June is a welcome treat after you spend the day outside. Oh, I bet. Um, over here... Few different options. Uh, most of them I mentioned before. Uh, Pizza Ports Coastal Access, uh, the West Coast IPA, uh, Modern Times Green Futures, uh, Hazy IPA, um, and then also had uh, from Celador Ales um, out here, um, Tris uh, American Wild Ale with uh, nectarines. Really good Wild Ale. Um, it's not like locatable at this point, um, but um, if you ever, if anyone's ever on the West Coast and sees anything from Celador, highly recommended. They make arguably like some of the best sours in the state Big that fan. sounds like a good summer beer yeah it really is um there's a masamoto farms um that has like the best nectarines um and they have like a limited selection of them that go to certain breweries around the state um and, and pretty much anytime i hear that their nectarines are used in a beer um i will uh i will go and buy it for that solid that's a solid recommendation yeah so um i guess back to recruiting uh, Kevin, like you mentioned, we have a lot of offers out for 2022 at the same time. Um, only one commit, Kamari Lands, uh, yep. a four star kid, uh, top 40 talent, uh, small forward. He's maybe got to put on a few, but overall, like definitely the type of quality guy that we're looking for. Uh, we have an offer out to Roddy Gale, but he committed to Ohio State. Um, DR Johnson has an offer, but obviously that's not going to convert. Um, at this point. So a lot of guys that we have offers for, um, again, like you said, a lot of quality players, but I'm not really sure how like quote unquote warm we are on most of these guys, unfortunately. So I think there was a lot of talk locally because Baldwinsville native JJ Starling, who's out at La Lumiere in Indiana played, there was a big prep showcase in Albany last weekend um, and Starling plays for City Rocks, um, which automatically makes him a Syracuse target. Um, <laughs> actually did really well and um, took had, I think, multiple 30-point games and uh, caught the eye of Jonathan Gavorni, who does work for ESPN, um, who thinks that he might end up being a five-star. And so Starling, obviously, local kid, local name is someone that Syracuse fans are, are really kind of keyed on um this weekend they had a visit from kyle i think it's filipowski is how you pronounce it yeah. who is playing prep ball in, in massachusetts but as a new york kid um looks like kind of like a tyler tyler Lydon type um tall 
but you know plays on the perimeter handles the ball pretty well Got good size um, too though like 6'11 yeah. 230 is like yep. i mean is, is is bigger than Leiden um for sure and exactly the type of like um you know like stretch big that that we'd be looking for yeah i mean with the way <laughs> yeah the way everyone is looking for um which is the the challenge you know is that's the that's the thing um you know Syracuse is getting an official visit from Donovan Klingen who's a 71 or 72 center out of Bristol Connecticut but Michigan's looking at him and UConn's looking at him. And, you know, when you look at how Michigan used Hunter Dickinson last year compared to how Syracuse has used their centers, you know, you just kind of wonder, like, do you have a chance? You know, when you don't throw the center of the ball versus a school that showcased their freshman center, um, you know, the entire season. So those two will be, um, those guys will be interesting. There's another kid, John, I think it's Jonathan Taylor. I wrote this piece a few weeks ago. Um, so I should remember these names, but who's out of Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, and is known as a shooter, um, which would be a, an interesting thing to to grab another shooter would be ideal, obviously. But to get a kid out of Charlottesville would would make Syracuse fans especially happy if he, you know, committed to the Orange and went back down and hit seven or eight three pointers in a game. Um, yeah, the, uh, Tony Bennett, but <laughs> but like then the question is, are you really going to get him out of Virginia when Virginia and Virginia Tech are after him? So I think. You know, um, and then we didn't get into some of the other guards like uh, uh, Chase Westry, who um, Pennsylvania kid that seemed high on Syracuse before Dior committed. So can the Orange get back in, his, you know, on him? It'll be really interesting. I think, you know, there's a lot of Syracuse offers out there. The the assumption will be that is that Buddy Beheim and Benny Williams will be gone. So there'll be a lot of opportunity um, despite, you know, other players returning and having the extra year. So Syracuse is, is in with more bigger names, I guess, uh, a higher number of bigger names than they've been the last few years. And the question will be, you know, who can they close to join lands? Yeah, and realistically, like, that's kind of been the issue of late. Um, SU kind of changed their recruiting style a bit with the sanctions so that they started going up against, you know, the Kansas and Duke and Kentucky names all the time that they weren't previously um, just because they had, you know, fewer hours available to them, fewer resources available, fewer scholarships available, so they had to make the most of things. Yep. And so, like, you know, Jim Beheim even said in his own uh, biography that, like, yeah, like, that's not who he wanted to go up against. And then, like, but the problem is now, I think, if we're not going up against them, and we've seen to come off some of those types of players, um, we're going up against the, you know, UConn's and Georgetown's and Michigan's and, and Michigan State's of the world, that we're losing those battles, too. Um, more frequently and, and, and that's not great. Uh, I, I do think that realistically, like we need to kind of land like three to four of these guys, uh, said if, if you believe like some of the recruiting sites were trending well with JD Starling, uh, Justin Taylor, as you mentioned, uh, trending well with him and then, uh, Tance Westry being the other one, like, but at the same time, there's just so many names out there and, 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 right. and the amount of offers that we can put out are limited. It's not like football where, you know, Babers can just throw out 400 offers and, and, and maybe we land like 17 <laughs> right. of those kids. Yeah. Um, so, so, so with limited amount of offers, obviously like in the last few years, we really had to kind of like go further down the list. Um, but the more we have to do that, the less an SU offer really like wows um, kids. And, and, and like at, at one point, like SU wasn't necessarily an offer like Duke that you could just like swoop in and like nab mm-hmm. someone from even a place like Syracuse. But Syracuse offer was something that could, you know, jump in and take someone from, um, you know, Miami or Providence or maybe even like a Seton Hall um, in the early days post Big East for Syracuse. But, sure, you know, now I don't necessarily think that that's like 
the case as much. So I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. Really, if we like, we already have lands. If we can get two more of the guys that currently have offers, yep. I think that that puts us in a really good spot to potentially like grab another big name. Absolutely, and I know like the transfer portal changes things, and people right. say, "Well, it's not as big if you miss." But the problem that Syracuse runs into is when you play an exclusive zone defense. Continuity is what helps make the team successful, right. you know. And so, if you're constantly turning over players, um, you know, you're going to see that on the defensive end. And, and Syracuse has also done well finding those under the radar guys. So, if you have a four person class, you know, your fourth guy might be a three star. But three years later, all of a sudden, they're a solid college player. And you're not really looking at, oh, that class, you know, wasn't if one class, if one person misses in the class, it's not as huge of an impact because you picked up two other guys that are solid contributors. And, and that's what people sort of miss in the sanctions is that, you know, when you miss and we, we bombed on some and that's what kills you when you when you miss on an entire class. And so you've you got to land some of these guys and then you've got to keep them for a couple of years too and develop because i think you know it's harder to to plug in just the way we play in jim Beheim's style it seems like it's a, a bigger challenge to turn over your roster repeatedly and expect that success i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here is in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, I agree. And obviously, you know, it's one thing to be able to plug in freshmen who are like five-star kids and, and all that. Like, they'll be able to adjust and, and adapt um, and, and you can work around, you know, maybe not having that strong of his own defense if you have an incredible offense or you just have great individual defenders who can plug in well. But expecting this program who has not had a ton of recruiting success of late to be able to land, you know, four, ki- four you know, blue chip kids every mm-hmm. time out, like that's not going to happen. Well, I mean, we saw it this year. We, we hit the portal because we needed to and we lost two players that are considered top 30 or top 40 transfers. And we landed one top 100 transfer. Right. And I know you can argue that Cole Swider might be a better fit for Syracuse than it was for Villanova. But the fact is losing Gary A and Richmond, you know, we didn't, we didn't replace them with, you know, top 10 transfers. We didn't go out and get player of the year from a smaller school. You know, uh, there was a point guard at Siena that we, you know, we didn't go after. Um, and so I think people should expect like, that to be the norm under Jim Beheim, like he's not going to hit the transfer portal chasing people, you know, with 50 schools, he's going to identify someone he had previous relationship previously recruited and feels comfortable with, which, you know, right or wrong, we'll, we'll see this year with how that plays out. But, you know, you certainly mix the importance of landing these high school kids more so for Syracuse because they don't show the willingness to, you know, to play the, the transfer game as some other schools will. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that, that's rough long-term to be honest. Um, and, and, and you'd have to think that whoever replaces Jim is a little bit more willing to play in that pool. I think you have to pick and choose. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, you want to play because you'll run more players off if you're constantly, you know, looking to upgrade. Sure. But at the same time, when you lose a guy to the NBA, you shouldn't just settle for someone who's a reserve um, uh, on a, you know, uh, another program. 
when not when there's players that are are looking to transfer that were either five star recruits in their own right or like I said, you know, even in smaller leagues when you talk about someone who's played three years and been all conference and some of these mid majors, I mean, those are the guys that you can come in and, and know that you can probably expect more from that first year than than others and we'll see how it plays out but I, I do agree i think you do need to pick your battles in some of these cases and especially when you have areas of need you know and you want to do the things that syracuse expects to do i mean i think it's one thing if you're a boston college and you're just looking to get back to maybe you know if you get to 500 and, and slowly build back a program but but syracuse you know needs to get back in the top 25 at some point you know and and so You've got to you've got to play with the big boys if you want to be there. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and it's going to be a process. I'm not sure how it turns out, to be honest, um, but that's kind of why we're watching the games, I guess. Yeah, Kevin, anything else before we kind of head out for the week? Um, do you, Do you have any uh, any any track and field recommendations for for folks? Yeah, so it's NCAA championships start Wednesday night in Eugene. Um, the men will be. They alternate days, men and women. So Wednesday, the men, um, JP Trojan will be in the 10K for the men. Aiden Tooker is back in the 3K steeplechase. Not expecting a lot from either one of those guys. I think getting to Eugene was a, a big deal. Uh, Trojan came on as a grad student this year. And Tooker, uh, excellent runner who's battled injuries the last two years. To see him get back to the NCAAs is a good sign potentially for next fall in Syracuse's cross-country squad. The women are the ones to watch. Um, SU will have two women in the 10K on Thursday night, um, Amanda Vestry and Annie Heffernan. Uh, Vestry is Syracuse's best chance for probably a top 10 finish at this meet. So there's 24 competitors in each each event. Um, Vestry had the second fastest time in the East region this year in the 10K. Uh, she's had a great season. She was a transfer from Iowa State. She's got another year. She'll be back next year. Um, having two teammates in a race like that, um, is helpful because it can help each other with the pacing. Um, the 10K on a track, you never know what to expect. Um, I wouldn't expect Syracuse to be competing for the win, um, but in a race like that, sometimes people go for it early and crash. And so you, if you run a smart race, you can really you know, finish high and, and get All-American status. So those races will be on ESPN. I'll have something on the site. Um, with the full details and that, but, but four runners helps, uh, you know, what wasn't a challenging track season, I think to say the least, but, uh, good for them. And, and that'll actually round out the Syracuse athletic season for 2021. Yeah. And honestly, I, I think that, you know, this has been a, we'll, we'll do like maybe a year in, uh, retrospective, uh, but this has obviously been a rough year. Uh, it's been interesting in some regards, but it's been very difficult in others. Yeah, um, I, I know. I probably speak for most when I uh, I say I am looking forward to turning the page. Yeah, away, away from anything even tangentially related to 2020, uh, and, and moving on to you know 21, 22 schedules and seasons, and just 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 less of of anything that that we have to do with 2020 ever again. I I would agree with that. All right. Well, on that note, um, Kevin, thanks for filling in today. Really do appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for having me, John. Of course, man. Uh, so that was Kevin. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Train News and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange.